0: The defense commission of these four
1: murders over a 10 day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slipping, them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm
0: here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward tell me your story. Maybe I should have
1: killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better Then when I felt like
0: I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast.
1: Happy Tuesday. Welcome to this episode of Serial Spirits Live. I've lost Steve Steve, every time. It's the freaking Ouija boards. Let me tell you, I'm going to do my best to get you back on the screen here. Hold tight for just a hot second. Okay. Let's see, because I know you're on there. You were just there. (laughs) You were just there. I had this problem briefly with uh, Steve Deshavi last week, and it is just, um, it's not happening right now. Hold tight just a second here. (laughs) Every single time, and I swear, it's every time you put the Ouija boards back up.
0: I did. I moved back into the Ouija room.
1: Something like this happens, so we're going to attempt it again. Guys, hold tight with us for just a second because... Um, we have a little different show for you guys this evening. If you were watching that intro, then you already realized that we have a deep topic that we are talking about tonight, a show that kind of covers some things that are going on in the nation right now. Steve, I don't know why I'm going to you back up here again. Every time? Every time single time. Guys, please hold tight with us while we try to work this out because I promise you this is a uh, this is a story that you want to hear. Um, while I'm trying to do this, I'll kind of go into the reasoning behind what we're doing tonight. You guys, if you've been on social media anywhere today, then you realize that they're doing what's they're calling Blackout Tuesday, and it is the um, the opportunity for people who are on social media to really step back, kind of in a silent solidarity solidarity against the violence that's going on right now. But Steve and I had a really long conversation last night about going ahead with this show because of the topic that we have decided to talk about. And we we started talking about this topic several weeks back before anything happened, before any of the violence in the nation happened. And so when we talked last night, we really just said we want to move forward with this because this is a story that people deserve to hear. And so that's exactly what we're doing right now, if I can get you back on this (laughs) I'm going to try something really quickly here. It's just, I don't know if it's Skype or if it's OBS.
0: Or the Ouija's.
1: Or the (laughs) Ouija's. Oh, boom. Got me? I got you. I got you. Look at that. Perfect. All right, so thanks to everybody who's still watching through all of our uh, technical difficulties. So, Steve, yeah, we had this conversation last night about tonight's show. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts about Blackout Tuesday and why we wanted to move forward with this?
0: I think, you know, like you said, we've been talking about this case for a couple of weeks at this point too, before anything had happened. And we had touched on it a while back, even before um, just discussing that we wanted to cover it. And I think that the timing of us planning to do this case tonight, which landed on blackout Tuesday is kind of something more than a coincidence. Like we were talking about um, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff going on uh, where, you know, remaining silent isn't the answer really. I mean, I, I, the Blackout Tuesday thing is, is definitely important. And, you know, sharing all these uh, different ways people can help and assist in the different cities with what's going on. Um, but I think, you know, talking about cases with what's going on right now, and cases from 10 years ago, that could have similar ties to, to what's going on. Um, I think it's important. I think it's just another way to bring it to uh, the light.
1: It is important. And in that intro that we did just a minute ago, there was a quote from dr martin luther king jr that i think fits what's happening right now so poignantly and it goes back to this case as well injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere this case that we're going to talk about tonight the death of my richardson is something that is so shocking it is every family it is every parent's worst nightmare it is still technically unsolved, I guess you would say, even though they consider it a closed case. But we want to dive deep into this case. You guys, thank you for watching. Uh, feel free to like and share the show tonight. Um, we do this because we feel passionately about these stories. So let's talk about it. Let's jump right into it. My Therese Richardson was just 24 years old when she vanished just outside of Los Angeles, California on September 17th, 2009. On the night of her disappearance, her bizarre behavior combined with a boatload of disinformation by the local police department during the investigation really left more questions than answers about what happened to my Was her death a terrible accident, or was something more sinister involved? So before we talk about her disappearance and her death, let's talk about who she was because she was a really beautiful person. Mitrice's mom, Latice, described her as vivacious and talented. She participated in dance competitions, beauty pageants. She was a competitive cheerleader Uh, Just before her disappearance in 2008, she had graduated from Cal State Fullerton with her degree in psychology. And you hear her mom talk about how kind of obsessed she was about how the human mind worked. And she had already applied to grad school to really further her career in psychology. Steve, she sounded just like an absolutely beautiful person.
0: And that's, you know... I've noticed that, especially about the last few cases we have done, the Lauren Spear case, like they sound like just great people, good kids, you know, good people doing good things in their life, doing what everybody is kind of expected to do in their life, you know, graduate high school, go to college, get a degree, get a job, you know, they're doing the right things um, and still somehow bad things end up happening to them that shouldn't be happening.
1: Right. So, at the time of her disappearance, Mitrice was living with her 91-year-old grandmother, Mildred, and she was working at a go-go dancer at a popular L.A. bar. Mildred said that it wasn't uncommon for Mitrice to come home and have dinner with her in the evenings, but on the evening of September 17th, or September 16th, 2009, she came home and told her grandmother that she was going out, although she didn't give her any specifics, about what was going on and that was the last time that anybody in my Teresa's family would actually ever see her alive. They liked the arrangement that she had there living with her great-grandmother. It made her mom feel more secure and so it just really worked out for the betterment of both of them, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean it was a good setup where like you said, you know she had just graduated college, she was getting ready to go to grad school, but she was close to everybody. People had, you know, not necessarily tabs on her. It's not like they were spying on her, but people knew where she was and when she was going somewhere and kind of knew everything, you know, what was going on in her life. It wasn't like she had been living somewhere else for six yeah. years and didn't really talk to her parents that much or whatever. Um, they were all pretty close, and she had, like you said, a good setup where she would eat dinner with her great-grandmother every night.
1: Yeah, people knew her habits, and that's what made the the goings-on of that night So bizarre. So let's talk about what happened on the evenings of September 16th and 17th, 2009, the last time that Maitrese was seen alive. After leaving her home with her great-grandmother that evening, Maitrese drove to a very swanky area of Malibu, California, and this is where things start to get really bizarre. She stopped at this restaurant called Joffrey's that is just along the Pacific Coast Highway. This is a place that was known as kind of a celebrity hangout. And so she stops there on her own. When she pulls into the parking lot, the valet approached her and said, I have to park your car. That's how swanky Joffrey's is. You can't even park your own car. And they charge you five bucks to do it according to the receipt that was left behind in her car.
0: Five bucks before you even get out of your car.
1: Five bucks before you even get out of the car. Most meals that I've had in the recent past haven't cost five dollars. So, okay. The valet approaches her car, says, hang tight here. I'll be back to park your car. When he comes back, he discovers my tree's in the car of one of the Joffrey's employees, and immediately he knows something is wrong. When he asked her what she was doing, she said, quote, I'm here to avenge Michael Jackson's death.
0: Yeah. Th- that right there is the first sign, really, that, you know, besides being in somebody else's car, that something is definitely off. something is mm-hmm. wrong with my trees that night um, you know Michael Jackson died that year it was the same year he, he had died um, but for that to be the first thing you say to somebody when they question why you're in somebody else's vehicle right. and she was like fumbling through his CDs and like going through everything yes. it wasn't like she was just sitting in there right. um, yeah she says you know I'm here to avenge Michael Jackson's death
1: it almost looked like she was kind of rifling through to take something, but it took the valet so, um, so aback that he was kind of like, "I don't understand what's going on here." And he just stepped back to kind of let it play out. I guess there was an article from LA Magazine that I uh, that I read that I'll I'll touch on some points. It's a fantastic article that had some additional details about her interactions with valet her valet, the valet that I didn't see anywhere else before. The valet said in this article that she, as she was entering the restaurant, she asked the valet if Vanessa was there and told him to watch out for the girl with tattooed arms.
0: Yeah, she, she had said, you know, the, the Michael Jackson's death thing. I I saw another uh, article right up where he had asked her, you know, kind of what all this means and what's going on. And she said something like, it's all subliminal, man. Like just subliminal. Yeah. Just rattling off stuff that doesn't really match up with anything else she's saying. Um, and then she says, you know, is Vanessa here? And the guy says, I, I don't know who Vanessa is There not a Vanessa here that I know of. And then she says, watch out for the girl with the tattooed arms.
1: Which makes you wonder if she was supposed to meet somebody there that night. Because as a 24-year-old college student, Joffrey's is not a place that I would have gone alone for a meal, although she no. said she had no intention of, you know, being there. Because when she went in, she asked for a table for one.
0: Yeah. It Which, was, again, that's, that's a weird thing to ask for. Right. Y- they don't have tables with just one chair at them. It's typically more of, oh, it's just me. I'll take one menu, not, can I have a table for one? Right.
1: Not at a place like Joffrey's, where you're right. talking about a celebrity hangout that is, you know swanky enough that only the valet can park her car. <laughs> can park your 1998 honda civic which is what she was driving okay so she goes into joffrey's she asks for a table for one she orders a cocktail an ocean breeze and a 65 dollars steak again something i would not have done in my college years
0: no i wouldn't even do that now <laughs> <laughs> That's a very expensive steak. Very
1: expensive steak from an expensive restaurant. And right. Says, I
0: mean, you, you get the steak and your car parts and you already have 70 bucks. <laughs> I,
1: don't ha- I don't have that kind of cash. Thanks, No. For COVID. Okay, so she goes in. She gets her table for one. She orders her food and her drink. But as she's sitting there alone, she notices a group of people sitting next to her. This very lively kind of party. And she actually asks if she can join in with them. The people in this party who were later questioned say, when they asked Mitrice where she was from, her answer was that she was from Mars, that her mother was Mother Nature. And again, she talked about avenging Michael Jackson's death. She sat with the group for almost two hours talking about astrological signs things that they thought were kind of entertaining at the time I guess
0: right and and these people you have to think of it from their perspective they don't know her so they don't know this as weird behavior they might just think she's this super you know eccentric bubbly person who likes to talk to everybody and just likes to go off about stuff which you know I mean Kudos to them. They let some stranger come sit with them at this super fancy restaurant and exactly. hang out for a couple hours. I mean, that's super cool. But, yeah. you know, they had nothing to base their interactions with her off of.
1: Right. And, you know, if you're sitting at a table and you're having a couple of drinks and somebody starts talking that way, you're like, oh, this is entertaining. Let's bring yeah. them in and, and see yeah. what happens. So I think that was kind of the situation that she got in with this party there and she sits with them for a couple of hours. And just shoots the breeze about, you know, astrology and Michael Jackson and Mother Nature and, you know, all this crazy stuff that is just kind of spewing from her mouth that they don't realize at the time is not her. Right. So, the group gets up to leave. And Maitrice gets up to leave with them. And the maitre d' stops her to remind her that she hasn't paid for her meal. And she says at first that the group was picking up her tab. The group already gone. The waiter says they didn't pay for your bill. That's on you. And so she says she doesn't have any money to pay her $89 bill. I think her exact words were, I'm busted.
0: Yeah. And people take that a couple of ways where, you know, I'm busted. People say, oh, she's aware of the situation and was trying to scapegoat a free meal and get out of there was like, Oh crap, I'm busted. Other people are saying, listen, like, she's just saying my wallet, I'm busted. I don't have any money. Like my wallet is busted.
1: Exactly. Yeah. She's saying, although her mother said something very different later on, and you would find out that that was not at all the truth about what was going on with her, when she says that she can't pay her bill, the maitre d' there asks her, um, do you have anybody that you can call who can kind of help you out? And then they realize in the meantime that there's something very off about her behavior. There's a 911 call from the hostess at Joffrey's. And what you hear in this 911 call is a female saying, we have a woman here who can't pay for her bill but she acts like there's something wrong with her. I think she could be high or there's something wrong. And so she right. immediately voices her opinion that this is not the action of a normal, you know, something that is for a normal person.
0: in their are right. Wrong. The call is interesting because the way the hostess describes her, she's not, you know, she doesn't sound afraid. She doesn't sound like anything's going on. That's absolutely crazy. She sounds more concerned at this point where, Hey, there's a a guest here. She doesn't have any money for a bill, but like, we're not sure if she's drunk or high, but we don't feel like, you know, something's right here. There's, there's something wrong with her. Um, and, and I know she had offered the manager, like some sexual favors to to pay the bill. Um, and you know, Mm -hmm. kind of people take that as a joke where like, Hey, this is, you know, her just joking around being like, Hey, you know, I don't have any money, but we can go do this. And the manager obviously saying no. Um, And not only that, but Mitrice was an open and out lesbian. So for that to – it didn't seem like a realistic, um, like, offer. It was more of a joke of, like, hey, crap, I'm trying to play this down. I don't have any money. Um, But, again, the waitress, they don't seem concerned for, like, their safety. She's not being belligerent or anything like that. They're just, like, there's something definitely off with her, and we think somebody should come check on her.
1: Exactly. They were – In fear for her safety at that point. And you can listen to the 911 call and actually hear that. You hear this girl say, I think there's something not right with her. So they allow her to call Mildred, her 91-year-old great-grandmother. And Mildred actually offers to pay this bill with her credit card but they say, we need a signature, we can't take that over the phone, and by that time, the cops are there, and so they begin a search of Mitrice's car. They found a very small amount of marijuana, and what they didn't report finding at the time were her cell phone and her wallet. What, uh, what Latisse, Mitrice's mother, later said was, her wallet contained her debit card, Her banking account had over $2,000 with it, so she absolutely could have paid her bill at Joffrey's. So she doesn't know why she didn't, why she said she had no money, um, and why it wasn't immediately reported that all those things were in the car.
0: Right. They they go through, and like you said, they're missing all these things, and the weed that they find isn't even like little bags of weed. It's basically they're finding residue and little like fragments from when she was either, you know, smoking or getting ready to smoke and she drops them and it kind of sprinkled throughout the car. I think they said it was like less than an ounce. It was really very, basically like a ticket. She was gonna get a ticket for it and that was pretty much it for that.
1: But they decide to go ahead and take her in. The official police report says she was arrested for possession and defrauding an innkeeper, which was basically the charge saying she couldn't pay her bill at Joffrey's. So she's taken into custody and uh, her car was taken to a tow yard. She was taken in by the Lost Hills Police Department, which later becomes kind of a huge deal, kind of a huge part of how this story plays out. So, she's taken into custody that night. Her car is towed to a place that's almost 15 miles away. Mytreece's mother, Latisse, was called shortly after she was booked, and she was told that Mytreece was in custody, which, according to her mother, was something that was had never happened before, was totally out of character. Latisse claims that the officer who contacted her asked if Mytreece had any history of mental illness or was on any medications. Latisse denies this at the time and asks if they can hold my Mitrice until the next morning because it's late at night. She was a long way away, over 50 miles. She said she had another child at home. She just wasn't able to leave in the middle of the night. And if you think about it, you're a parent, your kid's just been busted with some pot. You're probably a little pissed at him, and you're thinking, if they're okay there, if you're going to hold her till morning, I'm going to let her wait this one out.
0: Yeah, it's the whole situation of her being taken into custody. Like you said, it's nine o'clock at night when she's actually taken into custody. She's 60 miles away from home. Um, and this is where some people start to like differentiate whether they think the manager of the restaurant was actually trying to help her out or not, because they probably had a way that they may have been able to take the card over the phone or take an exception at that time. So it's paid. Um, and then they said, well, maybe he said no, because you know, he was concerned about her and didn't want her driving and just wanted her to be taken for safety. And then people say, well, if he wanted her to be taken for safety, you know, why did, why did he have their car towed? But I see, I don't think it was the, the, Restaurant manager that would add her car towed. If the police found marijuana in there and they're arresting this person, they're probably going to be the ones to call and have the car towed. So I don't put that against the manager at all. I don't think that was any of his doing. Um, it, it does kind of seem like they at the, everybody at the restaurant was just concerned for her well being and didn't think she should be driving. Wow. And then, like you said, if you're the parent and you get the phone call and they're saying, you know, does she have any mental health issues? We found a little bit of marijuana. Right. Um, you know, You're going to say, hey, keep her overnight, let her sleep it off kind of thing. Let her get over whatever she's got going on right now. Um, But the thing that gets me there is that the police notice enough wrong with her that they ask those questions. There's something weird enough at this time when she gets to the station or when she's on her way there that says, hey, we should ask if she has any history of mental health issues because we're seeing a lot of symptoms of something seriously wrong with this girl.
1: So that comes into play later on too when you start reading the police reports. And there's an addendum to the police report that I want to read in just a little bit, but we'll go ahead first. Okay, so Latice is told that they will hold her until morning. And so she goes back to sleep anticipating that she can call the next morning, find out what's going wrong going on with her, go in, pay her bail, and they'll be fine. But that's not what happened. So when Latisse calls the Lost Hills Police Department the following morning, she was told that Mitrice had been released at about 12.30 a.m. She left the department on foot because her car was still impounded. She had no cell phone. She had no wallet. She had her driver's license with her. When Latisse asks, how she can file a missing person person report, the officer then tells her that she'll have to wait at least 48 hours because Maitrice is an adult. Latisse immediately knows that something is wrong. Her daughter has never done this before. And she says, I need to file a police report. And they say, she's an adult. You just got to let her go. She's probably going to show up at home at some point.
0: Yeah, this is kind of the first instance where stuff starts getting weird with the police department well first of all they sent three officers to the restaurant that seems a little excessive for for just one person i mean obviously they don't know the situation exactly. but that seems like a lot of people to send exactly. um to this restaurant uh, and then when she gets to the police station she's given her phone call you're you know you're allowed to make a phone call um, but the phone that typically they use that records the conversations isn't working that night. So she has to use a different phone. Right. And she only remembers one phone number off the top of her head because a lot of people nowadays don't know anybody's phone number. You just carry around your cell phone. So know. she calls her great-grandmother. She says, I'm calling my great-grandmother. This is who I'm calling. Her great-grandmother swears she never spoke to my trees again after she left the restaurant. There was never a phone call that came in. Yet the cops say she's standing there talking on the phone to somebody. Right. So it's who did she really call if she called somebody at so- that point. Um, and then the cops say, you know, yeah, you have to wait 48 hours. You can listen to this phone call too, between the mother and the police. And she's literally asking him for advice. She's like, can I file a missing persons report? This isn't normal for her. You guys let her go in the middle of the night and nobody's heard from her since. And he says, why don't you call back in a couple hours and we can probably do something for you, you know, call back in a couple hours. And a lot of people are saying, well, what time was it? When did shift send? was he more saying, hey, call back in a couple hours, I don't have to deal with you because I won't be here, that kind of thing.
1: Exactly. And so you hear them talking about it later that the really awesome article in L.A. Magazine says, you know, she made four phone calls from that phone that was, the line was not being recorded. They don't know that she was actually talking to anybody. And her mother said that in her state of mind, mind she could have just been rambling they don't know and Mildred mm-hmm. says she never called here she may have not called an actual person was she actually just standing there talking to herself that whole time yeah.
0: and that's the that's the tough part without the phones being recorded you know we'll never know who if she did call somebody she may have called somebody that nobody knows about to this day still or she could have just been standing there talking to herself in the phone Um, but that's you know where they release her at 1230 or 1238 in the morning in an area that she's never been in before um, without a vehicle without a cell phone without any money Um, they just let her walk out and they're you know their rationale is well she's we had no reason to hold her she said she wanted to leave we offered for her to sleep here she said she wanted to leave you know she got a couple tickets that's basically it she can leave um but the the jump there is you know less than three hours just about three hours earlier you were so concerned about her well-being that you called her mother and asked her if she had any mental health issues. Exactly. So for you to go from, hey, this girl's really not acting right, there's got to be something severely wrong with her, to she's probably fine to walk out into the middle of nowhere at 1230 in the morning with no form of communication and not knowing where she is. 60 miles yeah. from home, right. Yeah, yeah. Right at, after you told her mother you were going to hold her overnight, too.
1: Exactly. And, and all of this comes together later. They find out, all of these inconsistencies and and we're gonna get into all of that because that's the injustice that happens in this case
0: we'll be back after this short break
1: Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal
0: or murder,
1: join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at Three Spooked Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you.
0: They murdered her.
1: A vile and disgraceful act.
0: We were able to
1: discover the remains of two humans. Welcome to Crime Labs. I am Eileen and i'm charlie crime lapse is a true crime podcast that uses primary audio in-depth research and a mode of narration to give you an immersive insight into the darkest tales and most horrifying crimes find crime lapse wherever you listen to podcasts and at crime lapse podcast or at CrimeLapse pod on social media everyone
0: has a story to tell so why not let us tell you some
1: Good evening, friends. I'm Emma, the host of the True Crime Witch podcast. Join me every other week as we delve into everything murderous, mysterious and downright macabre. You can find the podcast by searching the True Crime Witch podcast on all of your favourite podcast apps and search for us on social media just using the True Crime Witch. Hope to see you there. Remember, friends, stay safe and stay spooky. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. So she's released at 1230 in the morning. She has nothing but her driver's license with her. When Latisse calls that morning, they actually say uh, maybe she hopped a bus somewhere. Her wallet is still in that car in impound, but they don't know that until later because the police didn't report that they had found her cell phone and her wallet in there. If they had actually seen that in there, they could have given her her bank card, taken her into Joffrey's and said, case closed, let's take you home.
0: Yeah, and and again, not even just the wallet, like, hey, okay, we'll bring you in, you're not acting right, we're not gonna let you drive away, but here, we'll bring you in, you can pay, use your cell phone, call somebody in your cell phone to come pick you up. Because then you don't have to just go off of, I only remember my great-grandmother's number where I live. You have your entire cell phone. You can just click on whoever's going to come pick you up. So them not giving her that cell phone or not releasing that they found it, big. that's a big problem right that's there. That's
1: a huge problem. So she's released at 1230 that morning. At 630 a.m. in nearby Montanito, so it's about seven miles from the Lost Hills Police Department, a man called 911 stating that he awoke to find a young African-American woman in his backyard. When he asked her if she was okay, she told the man that she was just resting, but she quickly got up and ran away. The Lost Hills Police Department was dispatched to this man's home, but no trace of the young woman was ever found. This man was kind of a prominent member of the community. He had been a well-known TV anchor for a while. And so the cops show up there, and he basically says, she was in my backyard, something looks wrong, she says she's resting in my backyard, and then she disappears. The police are there. Did they show up because they think it could be Mitrice's? Or do they just show up because he's this prominent member of the community?
0: Right. And he you know his, where his home is situated it's not just like a normal neighborhood where people can just you know walk around through the streets. His home backs up to like mountains and, and a bunch of different trails that people take their horses on right. and all this and he says you know we leave the back gate open because the trails run through a corner of our house, our property. We leave the gate open so people can take their horses through. Right. But his thing was for her to be where she was. She was very, very far off the trails and into his yard, not somebody just you know casually walking the trails. Right. And for her to be there at 6:30 in the morning, seven miles away, um, you know, on foot, allegedly. Um, so we think, you know, I, I think it says, you know, right. the average person can walk 15 miles an hour or something like that, right. or you know, and um a mile and 15, whatever it is, you know, they right. can't travel that distance in um, that amount of time on foot. And okay. Then if she got there by car, there's a huge gap in time. It's a big gap about six hours. Right. Where, where is she? How did she get where she was? And you know, why is she resting in this, this guy's backyard and do the police immediately think, Oh, Hey, maybe that's that girl we let go six hours ago, or do they not even, pay any attention to that, and like you said, he's a prominent member, so we better get over there and make sure nothing's going on.
1: Exactly. So she's either walked a really long distance in rough terrain on her own, or she's hitched a ride with somebody who has taken her out there and left her, and she has kind of crashed in this man's backyard, which, again, speaks to her mentality at that point.
0: Yeah, it's Another thing that shows she's not thinking straight or not not clearly thinking about right. her actions because, you know, even if somebody, hey, did pull up and they were friendly and they offered her a ride, they saw her walking down the street at 1230 in the morning. How does she end up there? Where does she tell them to bring her right. that she ends up at this, this guy's house? Right.
1: would she be there?
0: Right. How, she doesn't know this area. Yeah. There's yeah, no so way she would say – hey, drop me off you know in these trails let me walk into this guy's backyard and take a nap it just none of it adds up
1: none of it makes sense so the police have told latisse that she has to wait 48 hours to file a missing persons case 48 hours pass and at their insistence uh, the la county sheriff's department begins a search for my trees not beginning at the lost hills police department but at the home from where that man reported seeing her in his backyard. So they are already under the assumption that this was my in his backyard. And that's where they begin their search.
0: Yeah. That to me is pretty telling if they jump directly there, they don't go, Hey, let's go back and let's, you know, retrace her steps or let's look in her car again. Maybe we missed something that is pretty important or, you know, why don't we go back and interview people at Joffrey's again and really see their complete interaction. It's let's go to this house where we don't even have 100% confirmation. This was my trees in his backyard. Exactly. I mean, it seems like things could match up based on the description that it was probably her, but for that to be the first place they go, without knowing 100% that it was her. It seems weird. seems like a weird jump.
1: It's a very weird jump. And so they start their search there. The family goes to the Lost Hills Police Department and says, we want to see the video footage of her leaving the police department. My Teresa's family is told that there's no recorded video footage, that the cameras that are set up in the Lost Hills Police Department are only on like a constantly running loop so they can see what's going on inside the prison at that time that nobody is recorded.
0: Yeah, they say that there is no video. It does not exist.
1: It does not exist.
0: There's no there's no ways around that. They say it does not exist.
1: It does not exist. And so, in the coming months after that, Mitrice's family finds out that this is absolutely 100% a lie that they've been told by the Lost Hills Police Department. There was video of Mitrice in her cell that night, and her family was so insistent, they kept going back. It was finally released to them in January of the next year. Five months later, the videotape shows up in the desk drawer of Lost Hills Police Department Captain Thomas Martin.
0: Yeah, so they had been asking about video footage for months. Once they are finally like, okay, there is video footage, we have it they start asking for the release. And at that point it's like another three or four months before they even release it. So from when they start asking to when they actually release it, like you said, it's about five months that they're told, first of all, this doesn't exist at all. And then, okay, it does exist. We'll, we'll release it to you. We'll, we'll give it to you. And then more time passes while this video footage is sitting in this captain's desk. Yeah.
1: And they were, my Teresa's family was told, you asked for video outside of the building. This was inside the building. You were asking for the wrong thing. We've had it this whole time. We didn't know what you were asking for.
0: Miscommunication, they say. It
1: was yeah. a miscommunication between the Lost Hills Police Department and Teresa's family that this video existed in the captain's desk this entire time that they've been looking for it. So another inconsistency from the Lost Hills Police Department comes from these videos that Mitrice's family is given months later. They are asked why there wasn't a deputy there that could have taken her home that night. The Lost Hills Police Department is well known in the Malibu area for returning celebrities to their rightful homes after their drunken misdemeanors. In fact, one of their most famous instances was uh, Mel Gibson's public in-talks arrest and his drunken anti-Semitic raid that happened in that area. He was also picked up by the Lost Hills Police Department and, of course, escorted safely home.
0: Yeah, and, and the thing is with this, too, when the police officer and the sheriffs and the cops all start talking about this, they, they make it a point to continue to say that the jailer on duty that night was an African-American female. And they keep repeating it, saying, hey, listen, you know, this woman so-and-so was here. This is her, you know. They just keep driving home the fact that, hey, the jailer that was on duty that night is also an African-American female, so we couldn't have done anything wrong because why Why would she? You know, it's the same. Exactly. They're the same person. Why, why? You can't blame, you know, me. I wasn't there. I wasn't the jailer. Exactly. Um, and like you said, they have that footage inside the police station. And they say, oh, there's no footage outside because that's what you were asking for. There's no footage out, outside of any of our police station. Um, and But here's the footage of the inside. And Matrice's family immediately says, something's off about this footage right. that shows her pacing around in, in her cell. There seems to be some kind of edit or a cut at one part.
1: Exactly. Because what they describe at that point, what Latice describes is my trees kind of swinging from the bars and they let her out to make these phone calls. And they, she just said, I know my child, I'm watching these videos and I can tell you something's very off with her. And if you thought her actions at that point were normal enough to release her in the middle of the night on her own with no way of contacting anyone or getting home, you were out of your mind.
0: Yeah. And Again, they made that jump from, we're going to bring her in because, hey, something's seriously wrong with this girl, whether it's drugs or whether she's having a mental breakdown. You know, they made that jump from, she's probably fine. We can let her walk home or walk out in the middle of nowhere at 1230 in the morning. And I know that Latisse pointed to a specific part in the tape where they show Mitrice walking around. She has a piece of paper in her hand, like a sheet of paper. She's just kind of walking around with it. One second, it's in her hand. And then literally the next frame like the next second in the video the paper is crumpled up in a ball on the ground right so they're saying well where's the video frames where she's crumpling it up and putting it on the ground how does it go from in her hand to in a ball on the ground right. frame to frame like that you're it's, it's not something's in missing these in there
1: you're missing time so what was right. going on in between these frames so another detail from this video that they find they're told that no deputies are there that night that could have taken my home. What they see in this video is that just a few minutes after my is released out the front door of the Lost Hills Police Department, there's a deputy right behind her.
0: Yeah, the deputy walks out another door of the, the precinct, like you said, in, almost immediately after my is released into the middle of the night. With no way to get a hold of anybody and nowhere to get anywhere. And they say, yeah, there's no deputies here that could have given her a ride home. Sorry, nobody was here, but they have video footage of another door and another officer walking out right after it. And then they go and they refuse to release the name of the officer that is on the video footage leaving. They won't tell you who it is.
1: Right. The only thing that I heard about him was that they claimed that he was a deputy from another, a neighboring department who had been there. Dropping off an inmate that night, and that's all they would ever say about him. Oh, well, yeah. he wasn't ours, so we couldn't yeah. ask that of him to take this woman home. So they have this conflicting video. The police begin this search. More than three hundred volunteers began searching an almost twenty miles square radius of Malibu Canyon but no sign of Maitrece was found. One bizarre thing that was found during their search, though, was a graffiti display on a wall in the search area, depicting a young, nude, African-American woman. Police were notified of it, but they could not make a direct connection between Maitrece and this bizarre graffiti that was found in this area. Yeah.
0: The graffiti was apparently like a number of African-American women in suggestive poses, most of them nude. Some of them were outlined in like black and like colorful. Other ones were this like kind of ghostly gray blue people leading to believe, hey, maybe this is a guy saying these are my victims. All the ones in blue are are victims Um, because they said that they found like paintbrushes and paint near it. Right. And they were still wet. So somebody knew that this search was coming to this area. The search was publicized on TV to call in right. volunteers and more searchers. So this was going to be publicized. Somebody went in right before the search and painted this mural. So everybody just kind of – it was kind of ominous and a very weird situation at that point.
1: I saw the pictures of the graffiti. It's bizarre. It's it is. It's very sexually suggestive. And so if that's something that – if that had been the motive behind – her death, it would make sense that that was somehow connected, but they could Mm -hmm. never officially connect the two. So it seems like Maitrese has just absolutely vanished into the night, into the mountains of Malibu until about nine months after she disappeared. An unexpected sighting of Maitrese was reported that kind of through the entire investigation, on its head. June of 2010, a former classmate of Mitresa's claimed that he saw her at a bar in Las Vegas. He said he actually called out to her, called her name. The woman acknowledged that he says her name, but he said she very nervously gets up and walks away very quickly. But he knows enough to report it as saying I saw her and this is what happened and she's in Vegas.
0: Yeah. That, like you said, it, she, there hadn't been anything. There was nothing to go on. I mean, it was a, a dead end. They were pretty much cold at that point. And this guy, like you said, a former classmate is adamant. And he says, I call out her name. And she reacts to the name. It's not just, he calls out, he doesn't just say, Hey, so this person turns, he says my trees, which is not a common name. Right. If somebody yells my trees in my direction, I'm not going to turn and look. Right. I Wouldn't even acknowledge that, you know, it's not a common name. So for her to react the way she did and quickly get up and leave the area, I mean, it blew things wide open at that point, really.
1: It did. So her father goes to Las Vegas, Michael. He goes to Las Vegas and he starts searching for her. And unbelievably, he says he spots her on the street in Vegas in this area that's kind of well known for drug use and prostitution. And he says he gets out of his car and he runs into this crowd where he sees her and she's gone. She's lost amongst this crowd, but he absolutely 100% believed that he had found Mytrice alive in Vegas. And so it gave them that spark of hope that maybe she had a mental break and she just took off somewhere.
0: Right. Doesn't even really know where she is or who she is. And that's the thing I think that's different about these sightings versus some other cases. You know, other cases, it's somebody in California calls about a missing person in Ohio because they saw it on TV. And, hey, I saw somebody that kind of looks like them. Um, they're hanging out down by the Walmart or whatever it is. You know what I mean? This is her former classmate adamantly swears he saw her. And then the old, her own father says, no, I saw my daughter in Las Vegas working the streets. Right. She's there. I mean, these are very different sightings than you usually get.
1: Another clue about Maitreza's mindset at the time of her disappearance came from the writings of her journals and her social media. So she had kept journals. She was a psychology major. She was obsessed with the way the human mind works. Maitreza's journals were found in her car after her disappearance and her car was searched, and according to her family, were another sign that she was absolutely suffering from some type of a mental breakdown. They claimed that her handwriting varied from her normal, very neat handwriting to this kind of scrawling, almost illegible writing. She was documenting her thoughts, her lack of sleep, um... And her thoughts were just very broken and wild. Her MySpace post basically kind of said the same thing. And her friends said that leading up to her disappearance that day, they had she had sent very erratic text messages to her to them that did not sound like her normal self. Yeah,
0: she was she was all over the place. Like you said, erratic. She was just everywhere with her journal, her MySpace. And the police even said and her family even said that, you know, her MySpace posts and everything. Basically, the times and the frequency of them pretty much laid out the fact that she hadn't really slept in the days leading up to this disappearance. She had definitely been sleep deprived and she was just all over the place at all hours of the day posting crazy, crazy stuff on her face on her MySpace.
1: I think they said at one point they could almost track a five day period of her postings that show that she could not have slept any type of amount in that period because she was posting so frequently and the post became more broken and more erratic and more thoughtless at that point. And so they're, they're putting this together. This says, this is not her. This, this did not connect. So the sightings in Las Vegas happened in June of 2010. It goes silent again until August 9th of 2010 There are park rangers in the Santa Monica mountain area called Dark Canyon who discovered something while they were out looking for a marijuana grow. They found the mummified body of a young woman and clothes scattered around the body. They had found the body of Mitrice Richardson.
0: Yeah, the area that they found her in, um, it wasn't really like a new area to these rangers in the law right. enforcement. They had they had discovered a, a grow operation, like you had said, that was pretty much, I think it was run by a, a Mexican cartel. Um, right. and they said they found like over a thousand plants right. that somebody had planted there. Um, there wasn't, you know, people there working them and letting them grow. They were just planted in this deep down Canyon that you can't really get to unless you know where you're going kind of thing. Right. And they were just planted there and left to grow. I mean, they had garden hoses that were siphoning water from the Creek up to water the plants. It was a pretty sophisticated operation that, um, these guys were kind of monitoring. So they were just going back basically to make sure nothing had restarted whether new grow or any, you know, recent work had been done down there. And then they stumbled across her body
1: they weren't out there looking for my trees. And so they find these remains and they immediately alert the police department. And this is where things get weird (sighs) AF all over again.
0: Yeah. They just, every step of the way, anytime, anytime the, the, the law sales, the police department is involved in this case, or even the local sheriffs or whoever it is at this point, it's, Shady action after shady action, just like deceiving things and, oh, miscommunication, or that's not what you meant, or that's not what I thought you meant. And it's every single step of the way that this is happening.
1: When the park rangers notify the local police, the coroner was called and the police were told to not touch anything, leave everything as it is the coroner is going to get there as quickly as they possibly can. This is a very remote location, and they know they can't get there within an hour or two hours. It's going to take a little time to get there. What actually happened was when the coroner arrived hours later, they found that the police had already been to the site, bagged up the remains and the clothes without taking any photographs and had airlifted Mitrice's remains and anything on the scene to the local police department. And the coroner is furious.
0: Yeah. he. I mean, again, it's that whole they say they're going to do one thing and then they go and do the exact opposite where he says, do not touch anything. I have to photograph everything where it is. I want to see how things are found. I want to see, you know, how the body's positioned. I have all these things I want to see. Being the coroner and the medical examiner, and then yep, sure, whatever, get here when you can, and then they immediately do the exact opposite: bag everything up, airlift it out of there, get it back to their their control. You know, it, right. it's it's just another one of those things that just does not look good.
1: It doesn't look good at all, and the fact that they so quickly took it—I mean, they called in a freaking helicopter to yeah. get it out of there. It almost leads you to believe that they knew that something was up and they were trying to cover this up. They didn't want the coroner to come in there and discover what was happening. And so what they discovered after looking at Mitrice's remains, the advanced state of decomposition, the coroner was unable to determine Mitrice's exact cause of death. But it was noticed that she was found partially nude. Her clothes around the body were said to still be in good condition. They even said that they looked like they might have been washed and placed there later. Her belt and her bra had both been unfastened, which led the coroner to believe against the fact that they said, oh, well, animals came in there and dragged all of this off of her. A coyote unbuckled her belt and her bra and dragged it away? Yeah,
0: the the police say, well, the the wild animals scattered the remains and they ripped the clothing off. And like you said, the clothing was in such good condition. Nobody reported teeth marks or tears and the belt undone, the bra undone, not ripped, not just pulled off a little bit on the side, completely undone, unfastened and set off to the side. That, I mean, like you said, I don't think coyotes can do that.
1: So, let's talk about the area where they found her body and why it was so suspicious. So, she's in the Dark Canyon area of the Santa Monica Mountains. It was also curious that close to where Maitreese's body was found was a 21-acre ranch where they were known to shoot adult films.
0: Yeah. It's... It's another one of those things in this case that like everything points to her having some kind of mental breakdown throughout this and then just ending up in the worst possible situation in the worst possible locations time after time throughout this entire time she's missing before she's eventually killed. You know, she goes to this police station that for some reason ends up being very shady about a lot of stuff Um, and then she ends up allegedly – in this reporter's backyard, Um, again, another prominent person that they're gonna sweep in there really, really quick and take care of this situation, you know, if there is somebody there. And then she's found in close proximity to this location where, hey, maybe that's why her belt is undone and off and her bra is undone and off of her body and clean and not tattered and torn apart by animals. It just all is very
1: bad. There was an article that I found interesting on Websleuths.com, and this actually came from someone who was part of the search party when they were out looking for my trees. And this person said, the location is difficult to access. As we were taken to the location, we were taken in by local search and rescue teams. We were harnessed and had to wear protective gear because there was much poison oak in the area we entered through a creek bed and eventually were met with large boulders which we had to be propelled over as well as we had to scale the sides of a few boulders the ravine was slippery wet and very steep in several places although the location was about a mile off the main road it took us more than an hour to get there i do not believe my trees entered through the ravine Or if she did, she got there in a different way than we did. I believe it's most likely that she entered through a trail, which is at the back end of a porn ranch that is located just above the ravine. I know that when her body was found, law enforcement used the back end of the porn ranch as their base of command.
0: Yeah. So if that's that's where you're putting your base of command, that means... You know that that is the easiest route to the location that you're getting to. You're not going to put your base anywhere farther or more difficult than it needs to be if you're getting that many people in and out of there and working on a crime scene, which it should be. Um, But that's the other thing. They didn't make the restaurant a crime scene. They didn't make her car a crime scene. They didn't make the police department a crime scene, and they didn't make where the body was found a crime scene. They just took her out of there before even processing it as a crime scene. So for them to say, hey, this is the easiest entrance to this area. We'll set up base here. That means you know the area a little bit. You have Somebody has some understanding of the area and the best way to get to the location as quickly as possible.
1: They had to have been familiar with it to know that it was out there, to know that it was the easiest access to that area and if you're talking about a young woman in the dark on foot there's no way from what this sounds like there's no way that she got there by just traveling down through the ravine if she got there her partially nude body would have accessed that area most easily if she had had access to that porn ranch that they set up as their home base.
0: She did not stumble across this location on accident. It wasn't Mitrice just wandering around in the pitch black or early morning hours or whatever it was at that point when she was there. She didn't just wander through this ravine and through a dry creek bed and up over boulders and getting propelled over boulders. It just didn't happen. She either had help getting there, was put there, or came from... The porn ranch, right. and then it's a better chance that she may have just stumbled into there at that point. If she ended up in there on her own, um, but she didn't come from the main road. No,
1: she didn't come from the main road. It was too difficult for even for the searchers to get in there. They're wearing friggin' harnesses. Yeah. I mean, she. They're was wearing protective
0: gear, right? And
1: protective gear. She was not getting in there on her own. So, they find her body in August of 2010. In 2011, at the request of Mitrice's family, Mitrice's remains were exhumed to be tested by an independently hired forensic pathologist. The clothes found at the scene were sent to the L.A. Sheriff's Department crime lab because, according to her mother, Latice, the Sheriff's Department had not claimed them at the time that her body was found and they had never been tested for any further evidence
0: yeah they essentially they went in scooped her body up as quickly as they could got it out of there as quickly as they could put it in the evidence locker and that was it they identified it and they said oh case closed she wandered off from the police station that night and ended up in this ravine and the animals took off her her clothes and that's how she ended up there
1: her belt. there's a really interesting comment from Roseanne Romano in the chat. She said, I agree, guys. I know that area. I lived there in 1966 to 1999. It's impossible to access.
0: See, and that's just, and that's what it seems like from everything you right. read and you hear about the location, but to hear it from somebody that lived there, it really makes it, you know, that much more obvious that, that she didn't wander in there. in, Especially in the state of mind she was in, whether it was a psychotic breakdown or if she was on some kind of drugs, you know, she was never tested. They they didn't really test her for that stuff. So psychotic breakdown on drugs, either one, middle of the night, you're wandering for, I mean, seven miles from the police station. Right. And you can make your way through this entire canyon, creek bed, boulders, and you end up in this ravine and you just walk lay down and die. Half
1: naked. Uh,
0: you take I, don't know. I,
1: die? I
0: don't Yeah, I, you just take your belt and your bra off and just lay down to die. I mean, none of it
1: makes any sense. Matrice's um, parents have independently filed suits against the county, and in 2011, they were each awarded settlements of 450 thousand dollars. In 2015, they asked then California Attorney General Kamala Harris. We know Kamala Harris. Uh, to review the case, to file, um, to see if they could file charges against the sheriff's sheriff's office for the mishandling of Mytrice and her case. At the end of 2016, the attorney general's office said there was not enough evidence to charge any authorities with any type of crime.
0: And, and that's where it's. Uh. There isn't. I mean, and there, that's the tough part. There, There isn't evidence because they can't tell how she died. They can't get any physical evidence from her body. Her clothes seem to have been cleaned. You know what I mean? There's just too many things, I think, going against them at this point. Is there a lot of things that are very evidently morally wrong? Right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's, that's clear. You can't argue that. They blatantly lied to the family. They released this girl – basically in the middle of nowhere without any way to survive or get a hold of anybody. They lied to the family. You know, there's so many things done wrong here by the police department. The only problem is you can't prove any criminal action has been done by the police department because there's no evidence.
1: So this article that I found, let me go back to my notes here. Um, LA magazine, September 1st of 2011, released this really incredible article um, by a writer named Mike Kessler. Kessler talks about emails that he was able to obtain that were sent internally in the sheriff's department contradicting Maitreza's state of mind on the night that she was taken in. And in this article, he has links to this email. The links are all now broken. But he basically says in this article that... There are people internally in the sheriff's department saying, oh, she was fine. She, you know, the 911 calls, you know, people were just overreacting. And so what I was able to find was a um, a supplemental report to her arrest report. She was arrested, remember, seven, uh, September seventeenth, two 2009. This supplemental report to her arrest report is dated September 25th, 2009, by Deputy Frank Brower, who picked her up there um, at Joffrey's. It's very small, and I don't have my bifocals on, so let me see how (coughs) much of this I can read. It says, the purpose of this supplemental report is to provide additional information to the arrest of Maitreese Richardson. I responded to a business disturbance at the location. Upon contacting Richardson, I asked what had happened, and she stated she did not have money to pay for her meal. I asked if she knew where she was, and she said Malibu. I asked Richardson how she had arrived to Joffrey's, and she stated that she drove. Her vehicle was valeted upon her arrival. I asked Richardson why she chose this location to stop and eat, She stated that she liked the lights at the location, and it seemed like a wonderful place. I asked Richardson if she had consumed any alcoholic beverages, and if so, was she feeling the effects of them? Richardson said, yes, an ocean breeze, but I feel fine. I asked if she was under the care of a physician or taking medications for any existing conditions. Richardson said, no. I then asked if she had ever been placed under a 72-hour psychological evaluation. Richardson stated no. During my conversation with Richardson, I noticed she seemed a little embarrassed about the entire incident, but was polite and cooperative. I continued my investigation and directed Richardson to perform a standardized field sobriety test to determine her level of sobriety. And so he goes into detail about doing the sobriety test, checking her pulse on several different occasions over the course of about 10 minutes. His final line is, my observation of Richardson did not lead me to believe that she was under the influence of any alcoholic beverages or narcotics. Richardson appeared to be entirely aware of her surroundings and did not seem confused
0: yeah so you know that to me sounds like a good way to cover yourself up at that point say hey you know this is what eight days later after she's gone after she's been arrested so a week or so after she's missing essentially and now they're saying oh crap we let this girl go out in the middle of the night you know and her family's mad at us because She wasn't acting right. We better go back and make it. So she was acting right.
1: Right. This is a supplemental report in which he's saying he asked her if she's on any medications. He asks her if she's ever been under a 72-hour psych watch. And she says, no, I'm fine. She's just embarrassed that she's been picked up. When you listen to those 911 calls, they don't sound like they're talking about a woman who's embarrassed that she can't pay her bill. They say they're concerned for this woman.
0: Right. H- him saying, oh, she's just embarrassed is his way of saying, well, that's why she's, you know, offering to pay for the bill with sex and saying, you know, oh, making jokes on everything. I'm from Mars and all this stuff. And, oh, I'm busted. And it's, again, it's just a cover up. None of these things would be done by somebody that's embarrassed that they don't have money. Exactly. When she had money, too. That's the thing. She had money. She did not have the money. Exactly. Um, you know, and if at that point at the beginning of the night, if she sits down with these people for two hours and they talk all night, she thinks somehow that they're going to pay my bill. Like there's a, some right. kind of miscommunication between them and she right. thinks that, and then it gets brought up, Hey, they're not paying your bill. She's not going to be embarrassed about that. She's gonna be like, Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me run to my car and grab my yeah, wallet.
1: Card. Right.
0: You know, it's again, you had at least nine or so witnesses I saw at the restaurant that reported her behavior is odd um, off, you know, acting crazy. You have the valet who at the beginning of the night even says that. And then a, nine days or a week later, you have the officer saying, no, she was fine. She said she was fine. She only had one drink. She yeah. never had any problems. She was probably just, just embarrassed. embarrassed.
1: She was yeah. just embarrassed. And no. so, so many theories have, been thrown out there about Mitrice's death. There were never any charges filed against anyone. So technically, the case is closed. But Mitrice's family has never actively let it go because they feel like the Lost Hills Police Department didn't care about her because she was a lone black woman in Malibu in a very wealthy area. And they just kind of shoved her off like she was a little bit of a common criminal when in fact she was 100% the opposite.
0: Right. They, they assumed the worst based on, well, one, her race, her car that she was driving. I'm sure was definitely not the nicest car in the parking lot. She, I think they said she had like a Rastafarian hat on and like a t-shirt. She wasn't dressed like everybody else there. She didn't pay her bill, you know? So all these things coming into play, they're like, Oh, she's, probably just trying to get free food and do all this and she's just a bad person. And right. so we, no, nobody's looking for her. It's not a big deal. You know, if they, if they wouldn't come get her at the restaurant and pay her bill, then she's not important. Not important. to them it's not important to us.
1: Not, not important. And those were, those are the two main words, I guess to take out of all that is not important. Mm-hmm. So many theories were thrown out that she wandered out there alone, that she died from hypothermia that she could have gotten into all the poison oak that was out there and died from an anaphylactic reaction. But then there were also the people that said, you found her right next to that corn ranch, half nude. So, Steve, are you still there? Can you hear me? I think our, your phone just went down there. There were so many different theories about what could have possibly happened to her do you have any type of theory about what happened to her, basically? Did she go out there on her own? Was she picked up by somebody else? What happened to my trees? That's basically the question. We may have just lost Steve. Uh, we, he says there's a poor network connection. Every time I have Steve on the show, something happens that disconnects us. But uh, we'll give him just a second here. Let's read a couple of the comments in the chat. No, we lost him there. Sherry Morley Watson says, because saying she's acting embarrassed makes it sound like nothing was wrong because that's a normal reaction. Roseanne Romano says, uh, maybe she should have said she was dating a movie star. Maybe they would have treated her with some respect. I really think that it comes down to the fact That they looked at this woman as she was a total outsider, and they treated her as such. And so, Mytreece Richardson's death, like I said, is a closed case, but had she been someone of another race, of another financial status, would this case have ended differently than what it did? And that's why we decided to talk about this case tonight. This was Blackout Tuesday, and we we hesitated to tell any story at all. But Mytrice Richardson was just another case of someone who was mistreated by the police, and now she's dead. And her family has no answers. Steve says, did you lose me? I did, Steve. I have no idea what happened here. Um... Let's read a couple more comments before we go. Uh, Roseanne Romano says the police in this country are disgusting. What? Sherry Watson says, I think the cops are involved in the porn ranch and funneled her into it. I think she may have been in Vegas working for them. They got rid of her when she, when it was getting likely that she could be found. Um, I 100% Agree with that, and I I think that is a strong possibility. Uh, I don't know that I can get Steve back up here. It keeps flashing, and so I think he's officially he's gone off the rail rails there. So guys, we're gonna wrap up this show. Thank you so much for watching this tonight. If you like the true crime genre of what we're sharing on Paranormal Warehouse. Please feel free to send us cases. We will continue to do this. And we thank you so much for watching. We love you guys. We pray that everyone stays safe. That if you are out there protesting, that you do so peacefully and in a manner that is respected by all. We love you guys. We'll see you back here in two weeks. I'm off next week um, back here on Paranormal Warehouse. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Good night. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spirits podcast. Follow us on all your social media apps, facebook.com slash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Become a patron today, www.patreon.com forward slash paranormalwarehouse. Until next time, be aware and be safe.